Welcome to the Mom and Dot 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 Podcasts. We're your hosts, Suzanne Kearns and Missy Stevens. We want to help you through everything that happens in the ellipses, from your professional life to your emotional health. You're a mom and so much more. Let's figure out what comes next together. Welcome to the Mom and Dot 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 Podcast. I'm Suzanne Kearns, mom and dot, dot, dot writer, LGBTQ ally, and this week, a last full week of school cheerleader. Hooray. Yes. And I'm Missy Stevens, a mom and dot, dot, dot writer, child advocate, and this week, amateur home decorator, furniture rearranger. Photos, please. Oh, yeah. I'll put photos some somewhere. My children <laughs> are not happy with what I did, so we can take a vote. <laughs> This week, we are excited to welcome Lauren Smith Brody to the podcast. She is a mom and dot, 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 writer, consultant, and speaker. She is the author of the best-selling book, The Fifth Trimester, and the founder of The Fifth Trimester Consulting, which advances parents' equality in the workforce. As a leading voice on gender, business, parenting, and now pandemic parenting, Brody, a mom of two boys and former executive editor of Glamour Magazine, is featured frequently as a writer and expert in media, including the New York Times, Good Morning America, Slate, Parents, CNN, and Network News. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. My my and list is like enormous this week, too. I feel like it just grows and grows. Um, getting an air conditioner fixed. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I am trying to get um, COVID testing arranged for my son to go to camp, um, oh. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's uh. the lists have only gotten longer and longer. Yes, yes, yes especially ends. with everything moving home, we're all doing the ands that maybe were farmed out once, and it's a lot of anding. Exactly. Yes. exactly. And I know now that we're talking about, oh, yay, it's going to be summer break. But I think there's also a, oh, no, summer break. <laughs> I was like, Wait a second. I know it's actually, it's funny. I usually look so forward to sort of the, you know, free range, I mean, as much as you can kind of deal with it of, of, of summertime. And, you know, and this year, I, like, it's been so loosey-goosey all year. I, I'm actually not looking forward to that unstructured time as much as we usually do. But yeah. I agree. We just talked about it yesterday. My husband and I looked at each other and we were like, we have to get a plan. And my kids are older. It's not like I have little bitties, but it's still, they're, they're going to be at loose ends with so much more free time. And we've already had like a lot of free time, like you said. I mean, yeah, it's going to be. We're going to test the limits of Minecraft for sure. See, (laughs) right? Yeah. I have one who would literally play Minecraft all day long and that's not going to work. The news is the worlds are infinite. I've been told that it's a little bit like the universe. You can just end <laughs> <ending> them. <laughs> we we, uh, we may have the boys that find the end. I don't know. We'll see. That's going to be the <laughs> summer <laughs> challenge. <laughs> uh, it is great. I mean, they are working together and it's super creative and I don't have any problem with it, but it can't happen all day long. So now to get back on track with the fifth trimester, for anyone not familiar with the book or the business that evolved from writing the book, just if we could talk a little about you and the fifth trimester and also this really cool new Ask Lauren column that you have. Um, We'd just love to hear about what you've been doing, even on the family and parental leave legislation that you've been helping with. I just want to hear it all. Tell us what you've been up to. Um, There is just so much. I'm living the dream in many ways because the work that I do directly impacts my life, you know, and, and the women I talk to so influence the work I do. And it just feels like I get to do what I 
tell my kids that, you know, I hope they get to do one day, which is work that feels like it counts and matters and applies to their own lives and can do some greater good. So I worked in magazines for my whole, I call it my 1.0 career for 16 years. And I had both of my boys when I was at Glamour Magazine. I've had a bunch of different jobs there. It was an amazing place to grow and learn back when publishing was kind of a healthier industry than it is now. And I've always been a very transparent person. I kind of like never knew how to lie (laughs) to save my life. I couldn't spin things for celebrities. I would just be like, this is who I am. And so when I had my first son, I was really, really transparent about how hard it was to come back to work. And I had known there was a lot of support through the first three trimesters of pregnancy. I learned about the fourth trimester, which was popularized. The term was popularized by Harvey Karp, Dr. Harvey Karp, the pediatrician. Mm -hmm. She's created the snoo now and back then was the author of The Happiest Baby on Block with the idea that we need to recreate the womb to soothe newborn babies. And so I knew that, but throughout the book, Dr. Carp just kept saying like, get to 12 weeks, mama. You know, they all call you mama. Like, and you'll, <laughs> and then your baby will wake up to the world and, you know, get, get into some sort of semblance of a schedule and give you something back. And I thought, well, 12 weeks, why does that sound familiar? Oh, right. Cause that's when I go back to work. And so mm. I sort of realized that there was this additional fifth trimester and, you know, another child later and much research later and many colleagues who had gone through it later, I realized that really we're not meant physically and in terms of our mental health to go back to work until about the sixth, back to paid work, I should say, until about the six month mark. And yet obviously in America, the vast majority of women who work for pay are back at work before then. So the book that I wrote after leaving Glamour examined the experiences of more than 800 new moms with all sorts of approaches to motherhood and different definitions of career to figure out what did we have in common um, working against us and for us and how could we advocate for each other and essentially be one giant collective working mom mentor. So wrote the book, book came out, it supports moms. I turned it into a business where I go into companies and help them retain new moms. Then the pandemic hits. I was mostly at that point a speaker and all of my speaking engagements disappeared. My husband's a doctor. He got COVID because there was no PPE at his hospital, like very, very oh. early. And he's totally fine. I, you know, like served him his, his meals on a tray, you know, from behind our bedroom door. Yes. Um, and like overnight became the full embodiment of failed domesticity. And I, I had a like kind of a crisis of identity if I was building this career and had built this career around gender equity. And suddenly it was really unequal in our home. Mm-hmm. But I did keep some of my coaching clients and then eventually some of the corporate people started to come back and started to invest in not just new moms, but all parents. And I realized this was really an opportunity to grow um, both personally and professionally. And so I've really expanded what I offer now to help businesses see the value in supporting anyone who has a caregiving need, mom, dad, elder care, spousal care, even self-care. And that's what I do now. I do lots of webinars, lots of speaking engagements, some consulting, some coaching, and some writing. I'm a journalist. So I bring what I hope is, is good, solid understanding of how to read research and how to interpret Mm. it for real life to my work. Um, and so that's where I am. I have these two boys. They've been in various forms of hybrid or, or only remote school for 15 months. And luckily they're nine and 12. And so they know how to log into a zoom. Um, but like, you know, before we did this call, I'm, I'm a time zone away from you guys. And I, you know, like left lunch out on my count on the counter for the older one who's supposed to be at school today and can't be because he had a sniffle yesterday. Um, and that's just, that's just what life is now. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You bring up that, that period of the gender inequity, even though it was 
a very short period, but that's a lot of what our podcast is about and that Missy and I talk about is mm -hmm. what that does to someone mentally long term when you used to be this, you know, there was a time when I made more than my husband before I quit working and there's a pride that comes with bringing in a paycheck and feel like you're pulling yep. your weight. And then 15 years later, what that does to you. I mean, I don't know how long you were in that situation, you know, the few months of COVID, but so you can relate to that, that really mentality. Near. We're still in it. Like my older son has been in every other week school all year. My younger son wow. just went back three weeks ago. Um, and you know, and it can get shut down any moment. Ben is still gone literally 14 or 15 hours a day because his department got moved out of the hospital to another hospital outside of the city. So they could turn oh. it into a recovery unit. So it is like, it is the only very, very, very near past for us. So yeah. I wouldn't even say that we're totally, we're done with it yet. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're yeah. basically one of the statistics of all those articles that have been how even, you know, 50, 50 partnerships, it seems Aren't to be right falling now. on the women yeah. during the pandemic. It's just, yeah. it's an interesting phenomenon and I guess not necessarily surprising, but it's interesting to see though, to see it being studied. I think that's one of the nice things that has come out of this and to mm -hmm. see it being recognized and making headlines. And a lot of the inequities right. that were so deep rooted and already there are just exacerbated and that's terrible, but it's also, it's gotten to sort of a breaking point of crisis that is requiring solutions. And, you know, that, that does give me, give me some hope. Yeah. 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 And talking a little bit about solutions, we are so thankful for the work you've been doing to reframe all of this from what we've just been talking about all the way back to maternity leave itself, which is kind of where it starts, I think, for working moms. And I've heard you say in interviews before that most American women go back to work well before they're emotionally ready and physically ready. And I think it's something that's been so taboo to talk about, but physically at 12 weeks, your body is still doing all kinds of things that your body has never done before. <laughs> and it's overwhelming to go back into the workplace. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your research and diving into those problems of using this 12 week, this arbitrary, oh, in 12 weeks back, you go to work when research shows six months would be a lot better. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you've brought up so many, so many good points. So when I did the surveying for my book, I'm not an academic researcher, but I'm a journalist. So I know how to, I know how to read studies. I know how to interview people who are experts in different areas. And I knew how to put together a survey that would really represent, you know, a diversity of experiences and everything sort of coalesced around that six month mark. And this was actually before I had even done the, like, you know, the, the deep dive into pubmed.gov to like find the studies <laughs> yeah. that showed actually six months is the point. So I asked women, you know, when did you feel emotionally sort of back to, you know, quote unquote, your new normal. And when did you feel physically back to normal? And I, and I actually you know, specified in the writing of the question, this is not like back in your old genes. This is like, when did you feel comfortable in your own skin again? And yeah. Both of those answers hovered between, you know, 24 and 26 weeks, I think it was. And then when I looked at all of the research, the medical research, well, it turns out it actually goes back decades. And so we have known, and you see it played out in every other developed country in the world that yeah. six paid, paid is really important. Six paid months of leave is really what's, what's the bare minimum required to protect 
women's physical health, mental health, baby's physical health. Cause you're more likely to get your baby vaccinated on time and all their medical appointments that they need when yeah. they're little, if you're not actually back at a job, a paid job. Um, it protects women's income long-term it protects their status in their workplace. And there's a limit to that. Like it's actually sort of the, that starts to, that, that curve starts to go back down around the nine month mark. So the sweet spot really is right around like six to nine months. And that was indeed what I was hearing, you know, anecdotally in the interviews I was doing, Mm -hmm. but also just like statistically in the surveying that I did. And yet 25% of American women are back at work in less than two weeks after having a baby. That is largely because almost half do not have access to family and medical leave. And that's, and you know, the unpaid FMLA, that's the 12 weeks that 12 weeks was always meant to be a compromise. Um, It was one of the first, I think maybe the first thing that Bill, Bill Clinton signed into law in 1993 when he took office. And what a lot of people didn't know is that it had actually been debated for nine years. And when family and medical leave was first proposed, it was meant to be six paid months. And it got sort of hacked away at and hacked away at until we got down to 12 weeks, which is interesting because we think of, and, you know, I mean, I named my book the fifth trimester, right. But we think of life in seasons. And so I think that 12 weeks is a very sort of natural cadence that we're used to. And, and yet it had nothing to do with any science, like literally nothing. Um, and yet we've normalized it. And so you hear people saying all the time, did you get your whole 12 weeks? Did you take your whole 12 weeks? And even all of the the new plans that have been proposed and most of the state plans, even the ones that are not fully enacted yet, but that are working toward their full uh, allowance of what they're giving, like it's, it's all with this baseline of 12 weeks being a normal Mm -hmm. and necessary amount of leave. And even that's really not enough. It's really not. I feel like it really messes with the mental state of mothers because you think, well, if 12 weeks is... I mean, that's the generous amount that people get, right? I should be back to business in 12 weeks. I should feel good. I should look good. What's wrong with me that I still don't feel back to myself. It's the origin of mom guilt. I mean, that's why I say mom guilt is a sexist social construct is because it, it comes from that first moment of feeling like you can't really do all of these things as well as you've been Mm -hmm. told you should be able to. And that's because we've been told. Oh, by 12 weeks, you should be dandy, you know, ready to go, girl. And yeah, then by are. 12 weeks, I didn't know my name still. Like you're just, like, you know, I have plenty of clients who work for themselves or who have some flexibility or who just are like, frankly, like physically superhuman who really want to be back at work sooner. And by all means, I'm not saying don't go like, if that's good right. for you, good for you. But like people who need more time should have more time. Yeah. And so you've been really active, like legislatively, but also like going into businesses. Can you talk a little bit about that process? And is there anything that listeners can also do to help support some of those initiatives that you've been working on? I mean, the most, like the simplest thing to answer that question by saying is vote for more people to work in politics at every single level who support the needs that you have. And the way to do that most easily is to vote for parents of young kids. And those are also people who often have the hardest time running because mm-hmm. they are raising their kids yeah. and they have to, you know, raise funds. There's an amazing woman named Luba Gretchen Shirley, who started a foundation called the Vote Mama Foundation that is specifically mm. training younger parents. I say younger, but it's really just people who are in that stage of having young kids to run for office at all levels and also helping them change legislation sort of state by state to be allowed to use their campaign donations for childcare 
because this is what she was up against when she was running for office. And she actually challenged the rules at a federal level and got them changed. A lot of people don't know about it yet, but you are allowed to use campaign funds for childcare. And that, that makes or breaks these campaigns because it's working around the clock campaigning and you're not making money campaigning and you can't use donations to pay for childcare. How are you going to run? So that's going to make the biggest difference is just that's, voting people in and that's raising great advice. And here in Austin, I know we have a group called Annie's List that yeah. kind of does a similar thing for progressive, not necessarily moms, but female candidates. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah I, I think that that's worth looking at, at different local levels to see if there's something available in everybody's uh, locale where they could help support women. Yeah. Um, but also just to know that, you know, whatever degree of privilege you have, to use that to make one step, to push just a tiny bit out of your comfort zone in your own work environment, culture, industry, whatever kind of work you do, because there are going to be lots of other people around you who need that same, you know, quote unquote accommodation or understanding of their personal life need who aren't as able to speak up. And so we really do see, you know, our, our, our country is, is a little bit backwards in that, you know, some of our norms come from policies and laws, and some of them come from private sector, you know, sort of workplace norms. And some of the healthiest industries we have are the ones that are also most able to support parents. And that's been a big shift even over the last year. And they are really changing cultural norms in a way that I think is going to push people to, you know, have stronger beliefs and vote for candidates who are going to make these changes permanent. Thank you for doing your yes. work on that. Oh <laughs> All I do is report it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really important that companies like Facebook and Amazon, who I know have really great policies around all of this, they are bigger and they can do it at a level that maybe a smaller company can't do it, but that's where it starts. Yeah. If they're doing it, then eventually this cultural shift could happen that even the smaller companies... And they're not, you know, I mean, even those two amazing companies that I've both worked for, you know, are fantastic, but they're not, they are not, you know, perfect. Like you, you, by any stretch of the imagination, one thing I will say that Amazon is doing right and doing really, really well is that they're giving the same benefits to their fulfillment center workers, their hourly wage workers, as they are to people in corporate offices. And that is something, a a crack that I see, um, a big flaw that I see, even in a lot of the progressive companies that I work with is, you know, the person I'll be talking to is in HR and they don't actually even have that because they're sort of considered like ancillary staff. They don't have Hmm. access to the same benefits as some of the people who they're working to, to move along Hmm. in their careers. Hmm. Um, So this sort of upstairs, downstairs idea of a division of access problem. And and I, I see it starting to be solved, which is kind of amazing. Just That's even amazing. the last couple of years, I see, you know, who's invited to the, to the talk that I'm giving and it'll be like now, you know, all employees, not just a certain mm. sector of employees. It's very cool. That's that good is to cool. Know. Okay. So we've, we've talked a lot about the fifth trimester, but for some of us who are in the, what trimester are we in, Missy? Like the 600? I think I'm like trimester. 62nd <laughs> trimester or something uh, like that. <laughs> But we're staff and I couldn't uh, the other day and like, I'm apparently so many trimesters along that I can't even remember what the math was that I did last week. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so there's going to be a lot of now that the world is starting to open back up. People have been facing financial struggles in their families due to COVID. There's probably going to be a lot of people who were stay at home moms or stay at home parents who are considering going back to work 
probably sooner than planned um, to help take mm -hmm. care of some of those financial hardships. So do you have any advice um, for, for fifth trimester or the 50th trimester um, mm -hmm. about looking for a flexible work option during this day yeah. and age? Well, we have this incredible window of opportunity right now, which is that, you know, everyone has essentially been through a fifth trimester or is going through one in that we are now having to be a lot more transparent about our personal life needs. It's all been on display, you know, like you guys are looking at the corner of my bedroom right now. Um, yes. You know, my dog <laughs> is laying on the bed. She like busted the door open while we were talking. And so if she barks, okay. You know, <laughs> and like, I, and I told yeah. you about the like microwave meal that I left for my son in the kitchen, like, <laughs> all of this counts. And the reason that I say it proudly is because I want other people to feel comfortable doing that too. And it's not to just be a mom problem, but to be a mom and dad and caregiver problem. And it's, and it's a problem to be solved. It's a problem we can now see. And one thing I always say is we cannot solve problems we can't see. So now all of this stuff is visible. We have seen our colleagues' lives. We have seen how precious, frankly, everyone's lives are, you know, even just, yeah. you know, the fears that we had around, around, our health this year. Right. So as you go back, do not be afraid to ask for exactly what you need because your manager is a human who has also been through a pandemic and probably gets it to a greater degree than they may show you they do. Um, but they can't read your mind. They cannot know that your son's school is now starting a half an hour later. You have to actually tell them that, but then you can't just ask for what you need you need to explain the solve for it. So here's how this is going to work. Here is my plan. So anything you negotiate, be really transparent. Don't feel like you have to talk in terms that are entirely like quote unquote professional when really this is about integrating work and family in a way that works long-term, but come with the solution and maybe even come with two potential solutions that would work for you for how you're going to get your job done. Know what your job is. So many of us have had job creep where what you're paid for and what, you know, the job you signed up for was one thing and you've added to it. And that's uh, in many ways, a good thing because, you know, there's sort of that, that threshold that you hit where then you, you move up and you're able to negotiate for more, but in that kind of gray area in between, you're probably doing more than you're actually supposed to do for what you're paid yeah. for. So for don't sure. be afraid when you come up with this plan to come up with a plan that satisfies, you know, like, here's how I'm going to get my job done. I know what my job is. And then if you do more, then you could potentially push for more, whether that comes in the form of money or greater flexibility. I actually think that you shouldn't forego money for flexibility if you're doing the whole job, um, but don't be afraid to negotiate. Don't be afraid to bring up a need and definitely come with a plan. We keep hearing that general idea. And I think that that's probably some education that women really need is ability to go in and ask for what you want. Yeah. Because we're just conditioned not to in so many ways, but this idea of having a plan, knowing how to make your job work and having the confidence to go into a place and say, I've thought through this. I know I can do this job. Here's what I want. I don't think we were taught to do that back when we were graduating and going out into the workforce at first, it was, you sit in the interview and you ask you these kinds of questions. And then you say, oh yes, I can do that. Oh yes, I can do that. And, and you'd be grateful for what you get. Yeah. We have but, to kind of unlearn how to get a job and ask for what we need. But the reality is, particularly if you are in that sort of like gray area of I do my job and, you know, and mm -hmm. I do my job. 
probably you're, you're only demonstrating by being a little pushy, by being really confident, by being a good negotiator, you're probably demonstrating some of the things that your employer would want you to do on their behalf too. So you're proving you're good at it. And we have to get out of this mind frame, particularly now. We know we've seen that like FaceTime really is not all it's cracked up to be. And so, you know, your job is not just the minutes you put in. For some people it is. If you work on the clock, like, yes. And I, do, I don't want to be right. of those people's job experiences. But for many of us, it is the collected years of experience and growth and education and contacts mm-hmm. and relationships and confidence and comfort that you bring to your job, not mm-hmm. just the hours that you put in, you know, staring at somebody else's face saying I'm here. Right. So right. And my butt is in my chair. That's- yeah. So you have to be okay. confident in it, it is actually more senior in many ways for you to work fewer minutes, fewer hours and advocate for yourself in a way that demonstrates agency because mm-hmm. you're not, you know, you're not a hamster on a wheel. Like you're a person with a lot of amazing experience who brings great ideas and balance and demonstrates that to the people around them in a way that's inspiring that also allows those people to see something ahead of them that they can aspire to be with a, you know, reasonable sort of balance of life and paid work. Yeah. That's an example. I I did not see that as a young woman in the workplace. I didn't see, and I'd love for you actually to talk about balance a little bit. I've heard you say like, we're not a fulcrum and it doesn't have to be balanced, but I didn't see anything even remotely resembling balance. Like the women who were the most successful either did not have children or they had someone full-time at home taking care of their children. It's, It's just nothing that looked doable to me at that point in my life. That's part of why when, when I do consult or when I teach best practices around retaining parents, I say, you can't only have people who are in leadership already be making these decisions. You have to have people at all levels in the room because there is a survivorship thing that happens. You know, if you are a woman and you have made it to management level in an industry where that is not common, you had something working in your favor. It is possible that you had a partner who was home with your kids. It is possible that you are actually just crazy, brilliant, insane, smart. It's possible that your body only needs four hours of sleep. I worked like a lot of the people I worked with, like they had that. Does that mean that anybody who's beneath them, who doesn't have those things, doesn't have potential to be an amazing leader? No. When you're discussing the needs of a staff around you, you actually have to have the people who are in the thick of it. This is the same model as having younger parents in Congress and um, mm-hmm. and in our Senate. Like that, you you want those voices represented. So it's really important to remember that there's a little bit of a survivor, you know, bias that happens among the mm-hmm. people who made it to the top because they had something working in their favor. Also, they have this like triple burden of being. Um, underrepresented as in, in the case that I'm describing, you know, as I say, a woman with kids in leadership and of, of doing what's probably a really, really hard job. Um, then of also of being an advocate for everybody around them who they want to bring up with them. And that takes up time. Yeah. There's something else I teach is that you really want to account for all of these um, ERGs, employee resource groups, and all of the you know, the zoom cocktail, like get to know you parent things that we've been doing. I mean, I, I lead a lot of them, right? Like I tell employers, you have to let people know that the time that they put into doing those things really, really counts toward their Mm -hmm. success. Even if it's not a billable hour, 
even if it's not something they would normally see reflected in their annual review, like they should feel like the list they come to you of the things they've achieved this year included all the sort of soft skill stuff they did to keep people from leaving Mm -hmm. um, because that does ultimately make a better business. So we got to be rewarded for it. Okay. So those people, whether they be in their fifth trimester or their 50th going back to work, that's a huge adjustment for the mom, obviously. And also for the kids and their spouse or partner, what is your advice? What have you seen in your research to help minimize that shock to the family system or any surprise aftershocks that you might be setting yourself up for in the years ahead? Sure. So it's interesting, you know, so much of what I have researched and learned and and just steeped myself in about the return to work after baby and about new mom's needs now applies so much more universally. And only in the last couple of months have I started to realize that it really applies to our kids too. So, you know, if, if you were heading back to paid work after having a baby and you would want to try like a graduated, um, a gradual reentry of like, you know, maybe working like a four day week or working a six hour day at first to sort of baby step back in that actually like we should be doing that same thing now. And we should be doing it for our kids too, which is, you know, mm. like they, it's, it's much, it's a, this is not necessarily a time I think for a, a giant bandaid ripoff, right? Like our kids need to also get used to things and it helps to do transitions and baby steps. It really does. The other thing that I've learned that I'm saying a lot more than I used to is not just that we need to be transparent about our parenthood with our colleagues, but also like the, in the other side of the coin, the inverse of that is that it's okay that our kids have seen us work really hard and be really stressed out about it and have some successes and have some failures. And the best way for our kids, I think, to be okay with that is for us to really contextualize it for them. And this is like even little kids, kids as young as three can understand, you know, why mommy is working so hard right now, like why daddy had to close the door for a couple of hours to, you know, get through a big project, like actually tell them what's happening. Tell them about your colleagues, make these characters in your life and this work that you're doing real to them in a way that, that really models it. And then you can feel like you're actually parenting while you're working too. Um, I love that tip. I remember uh, we had, we had Kristen Van Ogtrop who wrote, did I, did I say that out loud? It's yeah, we, a million years ago at Glamour. Oh, really? Oh, oh I, yeah. Small She's world. great. Okay, well, then I'll do a little shout, shoot out for her book. Too. Oh, I love her book. I love it. It's so great. Yeah. For the dog when, I could not, I sobbed through the dog chapter. I could not. Oh, like, oh I know. I'm sorry I, I, if you're listening. <laughs> I know. We told her, we're like, you took us through every emotion. For real. That. Yes. But it was funny because she was saying that, you know, someone had told her, maybe it was you once upon a time who said that she should be transparent about her work with her kids to to let them know kind of what mommy does at work, and mm-hmm. which resulted, you know, you have to go back to listen to the episode to hear the whole story. But it, re- it basically resulted in uh, one of her kids taking her to school one day when asking what his mom does, uh, says she fires people. She fires <laughs> she people. Fires- <laughs> Oh God. Oh God. So funny. So Kristen was actually, I have to say she was an early role model for me because there were, I worked for a lot of people who, whose jobs I aspired to have one day, but who I saw doing it in a way that I could never actually do, particularly with a 
partner, my husband being a doctor, he was in medical school through these, these years in publishing, he was a resident. He was doing overnight shifts for a week at a time. Kristen actually, I think maybe in part because she commuted also just because she's just such a reasonable person. She would leave work. There were people there till I, I was like not infrequently at the office until 2 AM, which I'm now embarrassed to even say, cause it's like oh ridiculous God. and not a way to live. Um, but oh. she would leave every day, like 5.15 on the dot to go get her train. And we all saw her leave and she would come back in the morning with the work that she'd done on the train and hand it back. But, you know, she was able to look at a, this is a very specific kind of work, but she was able to look at a manuscript and rather than spending hours and hours and hours, like rewriting and line editing, she could make five tiny, perfect changes that would make it true to the person's voice and not require an intense amount of labor. It's kind of what I was talking about before. She had just this level of expertise Mm -hmm. and excellence that was confident enough to let other people's work shine through. And yet like you just got that, like that sheen of Kristen on it that made it great. And I I really learned, that was before I had children, you know, to see her do this. And I still think about it now, you know, my kids are, my oldest one's 12. Um, anyway, she's awesome. I can't wait to listen to your episode with her. That oh, great. yes. Yeah. This shoe is so fun. Yeah. Well, we want to keep you to yeah. your time. We're closing totally. in on it. It's already, <laughs> she, yeah, we're so close. Um, but before we go to look, listen, learn, I want you to share with everybody how they can find information on your webinars so that thank you. their places of work could hire you. They know right. where to get you. Thank you. So I am mostly on Instagram. My handle is the fifth trimester all spelled out. And if you DM me there, I'm happy to offer advice. I feel like it's in many ways my pro bono work because I'm just there. And I'm like, if I'm able to, I will answer your questions or I will, you know, put you in touch with an expert who knows more about the specific need that you have. And also it's often how I connect with people who work at companies that might like to bring me in as a speaker. So there's that. And then I also have my website is just the fifth trimester.com. I'm on Twitter at Lauren S. Brody, um, but dependably Instagram is, is where you can find me. Love the Instagram. Yeah. All right. Well, then I think we can officially jump into the look, listen, sure. learn segment. This just gives our listeners an opportunity to learn a little bit about you beyond your professional expertise. So is there anything that you have been looking, listening, or learning this week? So many things. I, you know, it's funny. I didn't read at the beginning of the pandemic. And like, I'm a writer. Like you're definitely supposed to read if you're a writer. I could not read a book. And now I have just like binged. So I just finished Crying in H Mart, which is this gorgeous memoir by a woman who's singer um, of a band called Japanese Breakfast, which I didn't know of because I'm not cool like that. She's a gorgeous, (laughs) exquisite writer named Michelle Zauner. And it is such a beautiful story of the loss of her mom, which is not, you know, it's, it's not breaking news in memoir land to write about loss, but she does it in a way that is, um, what was cool for me is as the mom of like almost teenagers, I'm out of the baby phase. And she was writing very much about her like teenage years and early twenties. And it gave me this glimpse into kind of the way my children might see me and learn Mm. from me and feel like I am part of them as they grow and the things that they're going to push back against. And it was really, really beautifully done. It's all told through, um, her mom was Korean, her dad is white and she has a real bond over food with her mom. It's kind of the way they can connect. And it also just makes you very hungry reading the book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet. (laughs) Oh, definitely going to check that out. Loved that. And, um, and then I have to put in a plug for a podcast that has been around for five years, but that I only just discovered, which is called, um, tilt parenting. 
and mm-hmm. it is for um, uh, neurodiversity of children. And my kids are, um, they're in mainstream dream school, but they both have dyslexia and ADHD. And I have loved, loved, loved um, the interviews that the, um, the host does, one of which was with Jessica Leahy, who is the author of a new book called The Addiction Inoculation. Are you guys having her? Oh, it's on my nightstand. Well, it's in my Kindle right now. Here, no joke. I'm sitting next to my nightstand. Oh, good. You've got yours. And we've got the gift um, of failure around here too somewhere. Yeah. It is what I aspire to do with my nonfiction writing. And it's, it's helping me a lot as I am in like the very early stages of writing my next book. She just does a really beautiful job of tying research and memoir about how to keep our kids from, or how to kids who are at risk, which is all of us, but kids who are more Mm -hmm. at risk than most of becoming addicted. What can you do as parents to help, um, to help inoculate them and protect them? And it comes from her own experience as she is, I believe, eight years sober. She also mm-hmm. teaches at a rehab center, um, teaches writing at a rehab center for um, kids who are in high school. So she just weaves these wonderful stories of her own and their stories with like a really wonderful reporter's eye view of, yep. of the research. Um, and I'm so impressed. It's great. Yeah. We it love Jess and just a double plug for Jess. Uh, she also has the book, the gift of failure, but we're also huge fans of the hashtag am writing podcast Me too. Does with our yeah. friend KJ. So yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, big fan and Serena too. Serena has been there more and more these days. So we'll plug Serena as well. I love so, how they do that dance. The three of them of like, you yes. know, you have more time. These we all can, you know, it's great. Yeah, they they were big inspiration. In fact, we we talk about the Mom Two O conference a lot, but um, KJ has been uh, she's been helpful on a lot of fronts for me. But um, mm-hmm. also giving the inspiration and leading some of the sessions about how to do how to do a podcast and that you know you can yeah. do it and write and be a mom and still do all these <laughs> yeah. things and so. raise twelve goats and a horse and like whatever <laughs> wild animals you got. She's got so many animals. I love her dogs. I know. I know. Okay. So, well, Missy, what have you been look, listen, learning? Um, Well, it's interesting that you say that you weren't reading at the beginning of the pandemic. I really wasn't either. I was not reading and I was not writing. I watched more TV at the beginning than I think I have ever watched in my life. Mm. And then slowly I have been moving away from it. But the last... I don't know, the last couple of weeks, this is not really my look, listen, learn, but the last couple of weeks we've had some look, listen, learns recommended that were TV shows and I had to go catch up on all of them. So thank you very much <laughs> for taking me back to my binge watching, but I caught up on the mayor of East town or the mayor of East town, mayor of East town. Yes. Um, I was caught up, but then I, I guess there's a new episode last night and hacks, yes. which I think you recommended hacks to me, Suzanne. I did. Um, I love that one. I watched both of those. Like I had time to watch entire hacks is only two episodes so far. So that wasn't a big deal, but mayor of Easttown, I started last week. So it was five or six episodes in and I caught up. So it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but uh, Those were great. <laughs> Well, um, we've sorry, been just... using Mayor of Easttown as like a pick me up between our binging of uh, The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, and not a good night, pick me up. I don't want to do a spoiler, but there was one part of Mayor of Easttown last night. I was like, if XYZ happens, we're just going out. straight Handmaids from now on because <laughs> this show's getting even worse than Handmaids. But anyway, oh, it's pretty dark. It's dark. It's dark. Yeah, I don't mean dark. worse isn't bad. I mean worse is just oh my god. There's not the a bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt kind of blue after. I mean, of course, I binged it, which I don't ever think is super healthy. But um, 
I felt kind of blue after watching Mayor of Easttown and I had not really expected that. Um, so, but still so good. This is still a plug to watch it. It's really good. Uh, my learn this week is um, I got kind of the craziest gift for Mother's Day. I mentioned it. I showed it to my husband, but almost as a joke because it's not cheap, but it's called the garden with a Y, G-A-R-D-Y-N. And it's a hydroponic growing system for inside your house. It's large. It's large. Oh God, you got it. We've got, okay, we're going to share. I'll put pictures in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, It's large. I thought you were going to get a GYN with it. Like that this is. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness. Thank goodness. (laughs) I replied to Missy yesterday. I said, is the why for why did I buy this garden system? (laughs) I was like, I think it might be. It has these, like, it's a tower and there's grow lights inside the tower. It is like having the sun in my kitchen. It's so bright. And it comes on. It looks like a UFO landed. It looks like a UFO landed in my kitchen. So what do you get, like, fresh herbs out of it? Yeah, it's herbs, flowers, lettuces. It can grow everything and it really does seem exciting but it's quite large and quite bright and I so I don't know and it's not cheap so I think my husband and I both are like we got to make this work so now oh I need God. to figure out where to put it because I I mean it came on it comes on automatically and it came on at six and I was awake but I was still in my room and I was like what, the, what is happening and I realized is it like Christmas vacation when the Christmas lights finally <laughs> <Yes>. turn on <laughs> yes so I am wondering if all the other plants in my house are going to get some of this grow light and be really happy, maybe. Oh my but God. We have to find it a new home because my favorite part is the it. website is like, it grows like 50 plants in two square feet. I'm like, well, two square feet on the floor, but it's like, it goes, whoop. They're not oh, measuring yeah. pure area, but yeah, it's pretty cool. It is I'm so cool though. I'm giving you a hard time, know. but it is, I'm, well, it's, out of, it's out of envy because I kill everything. Don't be envious. <laughs> it gets a little bit crazy. I don't know. I don't know if this is a plug for garden or a stay away. We'll just have to keep you posted. Yes. Oh my God. We could have a whole episode just about your garden. Oh my gosh. Okay. And so we've what only, you? we've only got you for nine more minutes here. So I'm going to oh, be no. fast. Um, no. So um, I, my learn is I'm learning more about this Wolfer group. So it's W-O-O-L-F-E-R. So Lisa Levine, who we had last week uh, with Midlife No Crisis, had shared a couple of groups kind of for Midlife. And I thought she meant like a Facebook group. And she's like, oh, you guys should do a group like this. And I was like, oh, we have a group like that. But then I was like, oh, no, this is a this is a real group. group. It's like a whole community. It's like a Facebook, but just for the people. And you have to pay. You have to pay. I'm on my three day uh, free trial to Mm -hmm. see what it's all about. But I think I'm going to stick around. It seems really cool. It's like kind of like I said, it's almost like this really super safe Facebook for just people that are kind of in this same mind space where you are in this kind of midlife mm-hmm. and really inspiring. Um, actually, it was funny that I was looking through the list of the interviews they've done. And of course there was Kristen Van Ogtrop and there was Jess yeah. Leahy. I was like, I know these people. So yeah, yeah. there's, and of course, uh, one of the most recent ones was with Lisa Levine, the interviews they do, but just like people who are in the same mind space and um, it's like $35 a year. So I think, I think it'll be yeah. a fun little, trial i'm gonna check it out 
Um, and then also another learn, cause I was at that, I relaunch conference at, I was in my closet at it yeah. <laughs> last week at the, I relaunched uh, conference and really something I kept hearing over and over. And it's been a question from people within our group is like, how important is LinkedIn? And the answer seems to be super duper important. And not just when you're trying to look for a job, really to start building that community because you never know when you might need to start looking for a job. And it's a lot easier if those people are already there, you've already got some mm -hmm. engagement. So I, I think we're going to bring on a LinkedIn expert to actually talk about, you know, okay, if you're a stay at home mom of five years and you have no plans to get a job, what does your LinkedIn look like versus if you are actually actively trying to seek a job type of thing. But, um, but so yeah, it's a major LinkedIn education. Like, they just I added, know. they added all of these ca categories, um, yeah. specifically sort of as a, with the pandemic as a catalyst of, you know, to help people bridge times when they were doing unpaid work, taking care of their kids during the pandemic. And also mm -hmm. I think just to normalize the fact that so many of us do this in an integrative way, you know, and to, yeah. and to show that unpaid labor counts as work. Yeah. yeah. And it was interesting because a lot of the questions that came out of that conference were also, okay, I usually had tried to hide the fact I'm a stay at home mom. And now you're telling me I should check the box for stay at home mom on LinkedIn. Like, is mm -hmm. that going to weed me out? And a lot of the employers that were there said, no, actually click it because right. no one's going to use it as something to weed you out, but some may specifically search on it because they do have relaunch programs or these, um, yeah. oh, what are they called? The Returnships. And so they specifically search for that, whereas people aren't going to be like, yuck, you know, I mean, right. it is so it is so normalized. Now, I really I mean, as awful as COVID has been, you mentioned it. And it's something that I've been thinking of for the past year is people kind of finally get the mind of stay at home moms and stay at home parents. Now yeah. it is just a weird mind space and you really can't get it until you've lost all control of everything in your life. <laughs> and, and now the whole yeah. world has had this collective maternity leave of a sort. Of it. Mm -hmm. And I just love that because I do think it just gives them that little, my husband, after my three months, four month maternity leave, he actually did three months paternal leave because we didn't have child. We, the place oh, that we that had is... signed up for, for childcare when I was three months pregnant, still did not have a spot. Wow. Oh my gosh. And so he did those months off and I mean, he's still traumatized. He had to like there's research, you know, there's research that shows that dads and it's all heteronormative, but because that's who they studied, but that dads who took paternity leave have stronger bonds with their teenage children that many years later. Yeah. And I see it. I see it with them. And, you know, they, they go to the comic book store and they go for walks together and whatever. Yep. And, um, but but I do think that put him in a place, especially for understanding me, even to these days, like he just has a super appreciation for mm -hmm. the stay at homeness. I mean, they, we lived in Seattle at the time and he had her, that baby out at the zoo. It didn't matter if it was pouring. He's rain. like, he's like, I just got to get out of this house at least yep. once a day. I do not care. I'm going to go crazy. And yep. yeah, three months, three months changed our entire outlook on parenting in our marriage. So I highly recommend it if people have that opportunity for everybody to take a turn. But yes, yeah. so I, I'm appreciating that the entire globe understands where where our brains are and why after 15 years of this, 
we're kind of lacking some confidence. <laughs> Let's hang on to that progress. You know, that's yeah. I'm pushing really hard in every conversation I have to make sure that we don't just, you know, go back to our old normal in any way. Exactly. Well, and you are doing such an amazing job in making sure these companies don't forget it and making sure that on a national standpoint, we don't forget it. And I forgot to ask earlier, we've got the fifth trimester here that I'm showing for all our YouTube viewers, all, all of you. <laughs> Both of you. Is there another book in the works or is it primarily? There is. I will share really candidly because you, you all talk about work and about how, you know, challenging it is. So I had started a book that was specific specifically for pandemic recovery for parents, both, you know, to help our kids sort of bridge academic and emotional gaps, as well as our own career gaps. And it, the timing on it didn't work. Like it was, the research was done and there was just no way with a traditionally published book, which is what I wanted to mm -hmm. do it in time. So instead I've shifted, I'm using a lot of that research and I have, I can't share the title, but it's essentially a book about, um, visibility, um, radical visibility of our children in our work and our work for our children and just how completely integrative those two ideas are. And oh, love it. this needs to be how we really reframe our, our new working parent normal, um, for progress yeah. coming out of the pandemic. Wonderful. And so, I excited. hear the dinging. I hear the dinging. Yes, it is time. We I, know, I, cannot, I have a new laptop, laptop and I cannot figure out how to turn off notifications, which I thought I had turned off. I'm so sorry, you guys. No, no that's, that's fine. Okay. It's a good reminder for us because everybody yeah. knows that we cannot keep ourselves under an hour. So you're keeping us <laughs> honest. You're keeping us Thank on you. time. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, but and, uh, yeah, so we want to make sure we honor your time. You've been so generous with it today. So thank you so much for being Thank with you. Us thank you. All your great Thanks, information. And thank you for all you've done for moms and changing the perspective of maternity leave yeah thank you this was awesome wonderful conversation i really appreciate thank it thank you all hey, right thank you for being here good thank luck you. with the rest of your day thank you you too all bye -bye. right bye. bye thank you so much for joining us for the mom and dot 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 podcast we hope you enjoyed today's show and if you know someone else who could benefit from the episode please be sure and share it with them and while we're begging please subscribe and rate us wherever it is you listen to podcasts. You can find links to all the things we discussed today in our show notes or over at our website, momandpodcast.com with the A-N-D spelled out. In between shows, find us over at the socials, including our private mom and community Facebook group. The links to that group and all of our socials can be found at momandpodcast.com. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate you more than you know. Now go out there and make your ellipses count.